Bible reading is five chapters long uh, uh, today, so, uh, so buckle up. Um, actually, we're not going to just read five chapters of Exodus. We're going to watch a kind of summary of it, uh, hopefully, on uh, the screen. So our subject is the plagues. So we're going to, um, in a moment, uh, just shuffle up the groups slightly because uh, this is going to be one where it's going to be nice to share across the generations, I think. Uh, But let's just do a recap of our story so far. So before we got to the plagues, what have we learned about what God's like? What have we learned about the character of God in the story of Moses and the Egyptians so far? Anybody? Has anybody learned anything about what God is like in the Sundays that we've had on Exodus so far? What is God like that he's shown us in the story? He's faithful. Uh, faithful. How, how do we know that in the story? Right, he's supported his people through thick and thin. He hasn't forgotten his promises. Yes, what else have we... Um, what else? Have, he's merciful. How, do we, how have we seen that in the story so far? Okay, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to that in the plagues, but before that, have we seen God's mercy in the story so far? He helped Moses to speak. Uh, can you remember when Moses was a baby? He was under threat of death, so that might be an example of, uh, of, of uh, God's mercy and his compassionate work. What do we learn about God's ears? Have we learned anything about God's ears and eyes in the story so far? They're big. Yes, yes. We've learned that God's got very big ears. How do we know that God has got very big ears? Right, he heard the cries of his people, and he's got good eyesight as well. He says, I've seen the suffering of my people, and I have heard their cries for help. So we've learned about the Lord's compassion. Now, in what we're looking at today, we're going to hear something more about God's judgment and the way God punishes, but we need to hold that in his character alongside his love, his faithfulness, his compassion, and his mercy, because God's character blends together all of these things harmoniously. Okay, so I want us to move into... uh, can Can we adjust the groups so that there are some people who are at school, some people who are parents maybe with children living at home right now, and some people who perhaps haven't been to school or been under the authority of their parents for some time now. Would that be be all right? Can we just sort of shiggle the groups around? So if you're in a group like here that you haven't really got any, maybe people who haven't been to uh, school for years, maybe move across. Well, yes, school age. Let's shuffle about a bit. I think there are. I think there are a bit. There's a bit too big a clump of um, uh, uh, so. We need. We need. We need some younger generation to. Um, how about a couple of you? How about yeah, yeah. Rach, go join the. Uh, uh, or, Yes. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. All right, that'll do us that'll do us nicely. Now. Now what what we're going to think about is when you've been naughty. 
Right, so hands up anybody who's never been naughty. Okay, so there, there, there you've got the liars uh, in, the, in the church. Okay, brilliant. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about what happens, what happens when, when you're naughty and what parents do and what teachers or what schools do when people are naughty, okay? When you don't do what you're supposed to. Now, I, now to kick us off, I'm going to just tell a little story about one occasion um, when... So I'm one of four children, and some of you have met my mum and dad. Very nice, nice people. So this is a story about, if you like, a punishment. A punishment that happened in the Dow family. Uh, so we'd been on holiday in Scotland, uh, we'd borrowed somebody's house, that was our usual thing, we didn't normally pay anything for places that we went on holiday, we just borrowed, uh, borrowed people's houses usually, and we'd borrowed this house just outside Fort William, and we'd agreed to look after the hamster uh, that, that, that this family had as their pet in, the, um, uh, uh, in this house. Now, the holiday went on the whole pretty well, and it came to the day that we were going to leave. And the car was all packed up, and we were pretty much ready to leave. But then, it was noticed by somebody that the door of the hamster cage was open, and the hamster was not in it. Well, uh, as they say in Scotland, there was a bit of a stooshy at that point. Uh, that did not go down. That did not go down very well. And we looked around the house, and we could not find this hamster. So this was, we were going to be severely embarrassed, uh, having borrowed these people's house and lost their hamster. Um, so uh, at this point, after a long look for the hamster, unsuccessfully. All four of us were lined up outside the house and we were all smacked for losing that. We didn't know who had left the, the cage open. We were all smacked, one by one. And Michael, who's my younger brother, he was smacked the last with the words, it was probably you. <laughs> Words which he has not forgotten to this day. I think he feels aggrieved because, at least in his version of the story, he hadn't left the hamster cage open. It wasn't him uh, on, his version of the, uh, on his version of the tale. And I felt aggrieved because I knew, or I thought I knew at least, it definitely wasn't me. I hadn't been that interested in the hamster. And as far as I was concerned, I, it definitely wasn't me. But I was getting a smack as well. So there's this sort of sense of unjust punishment. And actually, I, I've, my own take on this is that I kind of agree with my dad. It, it probably was Michael. Uh, <laughs> but, but to raise that might be an additional, that, that might sort of uh, re, re, uh, reopen old wounds. Right, so we did incidentally finally find the hamster and that story ended sort of happily. Okay, so what I want you to uh, talk about, can I, if I can have my, um, if I can have my slides, are they going to work? Well, I'll tell you what, what I want you to uh, talk about in your, in your groups. 
What happens or what happened in your home or your school when somebody was naughty? Right, what happens? What, what's the punishment? Okay, and what's the worst punishment you've ever had? Or maybe the strangest punishment you've ever had? Uh, who was your strictest teacher? Who was your least strict teacher? Have you had any teachers that aren't strict at all? What was that like? And have you ever been punished for something you didn't do? Or have you ever got away with something that you did do? Okay, you don't have to answer all of those questions, but think about what, answer one of those questions and share your best being naughty and being punished or getting away with it stories and make sure you've got, got people from different generations uh, speaking in your groups and see what you find. Okay, take a few minutes to... Uh... Okay, let's, um, let's, 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 see what you've, um, let's see what you've come up with. And have there been... So have there been in any of the groups, have we had any stories of any strange, any strange punishments? No? All? Yeah. Okay, so um, both Callum and Pippa uh, have grown up or are growing up in stringent food, you must finish your dinner type, um, type regimes. Okay, which is possibly, possibly leaving painful scars. Uh, yes, okay. Um, mm, yes, I might be personally involved in one of those uh, one of those stories. I I, I, uh, I think. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Ah, ah. Uh, was I involved in that one as well? Okay. Right. I, Nathaniel, I don't think I should have taken this topic. <laughs> right. Did any stories of strict teachers? Perhaps you didn't get on to strict... Any stories of not very strict teachers? You got away with squirting your French teacher with a water pistol. Yeah, excellent. That might run in the Dow family as well. I got, a, I got away with throwing a trainer across a chemistry lab uh, one time. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, so now I, want, now I want you in your groups to answer perhaps a more difficult question, and I'll just give you... Um, a minute or so to come up with maybe what you think are some some possible reasons for this. What? Oh, the picture hasn't come. Can anybody, even from that sort of sketchy drawing, recognise who that is? It's Miss Trunchbull, yes. Okay, so if you ever want to think about a teacher that's cruel and terrible in punishment, uh, Roald Dahl's Matilda is the way to go. Okay, now, here's, here's the question that I want you to think about is why do teachers punish? Right, why do teachers impose punishments or disciplines? Okay, that's a simple question, huh? Uh, so, quick minute or so, what do you think are the reasons for that in your groups uh, now? Okay, so this group, this first group here, why, why do teachers punish? To exert power and control, right, to be in charge, sort, sort of thing. Okay, yeah, um, next group at the back. Okay, if there wasn't discipline in the classroom, there would be chaos. Okay, yeah, a group at the back in the middle. Okay, exerting their authority, yeah, show who's in charge sort of thing. Group at the front. Why? They, they get paid to do that, did you say? Okay, 
I, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody, uh, somebody over here, maybe somebody who works in a school, uh, say, because they're having a bad day. Um, <laughs> but what we're after is what the good reasons for punishing uh, might be. Right, so uh, did you have any good reasons? To discipline. So what do you mean by that? Okay, so to be disciplined helps people learn in the long run. Okay, and what, do you ha what did you have over here in, uh, in this group? To stop people doing whatever they're, whatever they're doing that's, um, that's not right. Okay, so I think we've got, uh, we've got several reasons out. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I came up with, and they overlap quite a bit with what, with what you had. So here, here are four reasons that I came up with, and the first is the same as, uh, as, as several of you mentioned, is to assert their authority, to show who's in charge, um, and to keep control, if you like, um, to make it clear who's in charge. Secondly, uh, not sh well, so I think maybe this was sort of behind what you were saying uh, over here, like, so if there's bullying, or stealing, or unkindness going on, um, teachers punish, out of kindness to the victims, right? To make it stop and hopefully perhaps to make things better for whoever was suffering as a result of the bad behavior uh, of, of that person. Okay, character is a third reason, right? So teachers and parents punish to help, to help us not want to do wrong things and to help us want to do the right things. So punishment is partly about shaping our characters to help us stop wanting to do uh, the bad things. And, well, this might have been part of what, um, what was going on at the front. Punishment is, is something that we deserve. So there's a, when, we've done, when we've done something wrong, so there's a kind of way in which things are out of whack when somebody has done something wrong. And punishment, if you like, writes the scales again. It puts right something that was wrong. Okay, and what I want to suggest is that the Lord sends the plagues on Egypt for all of these four same reasons. He punishes and exerts discipline on Egypt for exactly the same reasons that parents do today and that teachers do today. So let's start with the first one. And the, um, the video sort of made this clear as well. God was showing Pharaoh who's in charge and I hope the pictures will come out. Um, so, so you might think, well, why did he send such weird plagues? How does that help show that he's in charge? And there's, a, there's if you like, rather a subtle reason uh, for that. So think about the plague of frogs. Now, the Egyptians had a frog-headed god, a god called Heket, who you can see in the middle, a, a goddess of fertility. And when when the Lord sent the plague of frogs, he was saying, Heket is not in charge. Even over frogs, I'm in charge. I'm in charge even over the River Nile and the frogs that come out of it. Okay, many of you who've done things about Egypt will know about the sun god, Ra. How many people have heard of the Egyptian sun god, Ra? Yeah, so you might have done that at school. So which plague do you think shows that God, the Lord is in charge and that Ra isn't in charge? Darkness. darkness, right. So the darkness plague is God's way of saying Ra is not in charge. I am. Okay, and maybe a slightly more tricky one. Um, so in the video and in lots of translations, the swarms that come 
are usually described as swarms of flies, but the Bible doesn't actually say flies, it just says swarms. And one suggestion that some Bible scholars have made is that these were actually swarms of scarabs. Who knows what a scarab is? How many of you have heard of a scarab? Okay, yeah. Uh, Brian, what's a scarab? It's a beetle, yeah. Um, and um, is that what you were going to say? Yeah, so a scarab is a beetle. And in the ancient world, scarabs were often made into jewellery. And they thought the scarabs were amazing because they appeared to come out of dung, out of, they appeared to just come into being out of nothing. Of course, they didn't really do that, but you can't see their eggs because they're invisible in the, in the dung and the beetle comes out fully, fully formed. So they thought there was something magical about scarabs. And Kepri on the right there is a scarab-headed god of the Egyptians, um, a god of new birth and life and growth. And the Lord was saying that, um, that Kepri isn't in charge either. Okay, now, if you take a look at the pictures down at the bottom, what aspects of Egyptian life do we see depicted, if you can make out? Our projector's a bit, a bit ropey. Farming, yes. Now, why do you think I've put farming on the, on the slide? What did Egypt have to do with farming? Why was farming important in Egypt? Yeah, that was how they, how they got their crops, that was how they got their food, but also that was how Egypt made... Uh, did you say how they became rich? That's spot on, right? Because the Nile flooded each year, so it was a very fertile place, so farming was very important uh, to, uh, to Egypt. And you see it on lots of Egyptian paintings, uh, the cattle, but also the crops. And what's depicted on the right? Can anybody make that out? That's a slightly more tricky one, bottom right. It's an irrigation system, uh, yes, on the ball uh, today, uh, uh, Graham. Yeah, so Egypt were clever about how they used the waters of the Nile. And so which plague do you think it is that's relevant here? Right, the Lord turns the Nile to blood and makes it poisonous instead of fertile. And so the Lord is kind of saying, all of the things that make you think you're in control or your gods are in control, your money, your livestock, your river that gives you all the wealth, all of the things that make you powerful and in control, you are not in fact in control, says the Lord, I am in control. Okay, so the Lord is exerting his authority over the Egyptians. And in the text, you, you often hear this phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord. Right, and in the text of Exodus as well, he says, Pharaoh will, let, let, uh, will be forced to let you go when I bring down, uh, he will be forced with a mighty hand to let, to let, you, to let my people go. And there's lots of, um, you know, the, the, the Old Testament's poetry and songbook, the Psalms, there's lots of stuff about the plagues in Egypt in the Psalms. And usually that's about the Lord um, delivering his people with a mighty hand. So he's saying, I'm in charge. So we've talked about how the Lord restores fairness with the plagues. Right, he's heard his people's cry and he's compassionate on the victims of slavery and murder um, and all the rest of it. You know, the, the Egyptians tried to wipe out, um, tried to wipe out the Israelites, right? And if, you, if you're an adult, you know what that's about, right? We've seen that a few times in the 20th century. Um, 
So you can, you can fill in the blanks there. To form their character. Now, later on in the Bible, when they remember this, when, uh, when they look forward to being in the promised land, um, the Lord says, when your children ask, why do we have to obey all these strange laws and honour the Lord? You are to tell them, we were slaves in Egypt. So this was supposed to be, a, this was something that they would tell the story of over and over again. And Jewish families tell this, still tell this story to this day. It's a story which helps them learn about the Lord's, the Lord's justice and the Lord's faithfulness. And fourthly, Pharaoh's own words, I have sinned, Pharaoh says this, I have sinned against the Lord and against you. So why, why does God punish the Egyptians for these four reasons? Okay, so quick last bit. Why are there ten plagues? Why so many? Why are there so many plagues? Anybody, any idea? Ten Commandments? Ten, the Bible likes the number ten, doesn't it? But um, okay, that's a sort of more mysterious answer, maybe. Uh, um, well, look, I want to suggest God's in control of a lot, yes. Uh, he, is, he is. So I want to suggest that the, that the Ten Commandments represent ten chances for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh to do the right thing. So, later in Exodus, the Lord explains his character, but we've already seen it in the story. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, as we've seen, slow to anger, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So, in the Old Testament, it's, this is not a New Testament thing, it's an Old Testament thing as well. God doesn't, as he says in the Old Testament, God doesn't want sinners to die. He wants them to turn from their wrong and turn to him and find life. All right, that's in Ezekiel 18. It's also in 2 Peter. God does not desire for sinners to die and be punished. He wants them to turn uh, and uh, submit to him. Okay, so, what, so that's a kind of why does God impose the plagues um, on, on Egypt? And I want to suggest even further than that... Um, that God's punishment and God's discipline is a means of his grace. That punishment is itself a means of grace. So that's maybe a bold claim, uh, but I think, it's, I think it's right. When God shows us that he's in charge, it's actually a kindness to everyone. When the classroom is in control, it's a kindness to everyone. Everyone does better when somebody good is in charge. Okay, restoring fairness is a kindness to the victims. To have things put right, to have reparations paid, to have justice served is a kindness to the victims. Forming our character by turning us away from wrongdoing and towards what is right is a kindness to us. These are ways in which punishment is a means of grace to us. And desert, imagine you are a Ukrainian right now you will know more than anyone else that living in a world where anybody can get away with anything if they're big enough 
That is a terrifying world to live in. It is a horrific situation if there is no justice. I, lear I learned that um, in Pakistan, actually, from the Christian community who are quite oppressed in, in Pakistan. They long for the day of judgment where the, right, the wrongs that they can't have righted because of failings in the legal system that they live under can't be put right in this life. They will never be put right. And there's something depressing and hopeless and terrifying about a situation where there's no, where there's no justice. So they long for the Lord's return in that, in that way. It's a kindness to everyone for there to be a, world in which, a, a just world. So I want to suggest that God's justice and his discipline is a means of grace. It's a means of his grace for all of the reasons why it is in families and in schools uh, as well. As we know from uh, the book of Proverbs, those who love their children are careful to discipline them. And the Lord is a father of the Egyptians as well as the Israelites, and he disciplines those that he has made out of love for them and out of grace and kindness uh, for us. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do some further activities, which Hazel is going to explain. Yes, if you've been here before, you know this is a point where we can split into different zones. So behind me again, we've got the chat zone and we can go a bit more in depth into what we've been thinking about. At the back, we've got the make and do zone and we've got the reflective zone. Thank you, Gillian, for all the work you've put for that, for that area today. So we're just going to have a bit of time, um, just choose which area that suits you best. All right, thanks. <laughs>